You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, as we open your word this morning and spend a few moments meditating in the pages of Scripture, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, inspire us, motivate us, and move us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me at this time. And this I pray in Christ's name. Amen. The commission which we have been given is on the screen. To preach the gospel where? For all the world, for all, to all nations, and then shall the what? End come. We find this commission, in a sense, reiterated in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, when it says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. The gospel message we have been given, we have been commissioned to share with all the world. Not just the pastors, the missionaries, but it's a commission that goes out to the church membership at large. In that when you're called, when you're converted, with the same calling and conversion of being a Christian, there's a responsibility to share the message with other people. You can't separate the two. In today's day and age of professionalism, we've professionalized the preaching and sharing of the gospel. To the point where people would even say, that's not my gift. Evangelism is not a gift. Well, I have the gift of leadership, and I have the gift of whatever, hospitality. I have the gift of administration. Oh, I have the gift of evangelism. Oh, really? Where did you find that? Attached to your calling and acceptance of Jesus Christ is the responsibility to evangelize. You can't separate or professionalize one. Oh, that's only for those. But we've done that in the Christian church. We've done that in the Adventist church today. Oh, that's for those people. God's looking for all of us to be involved in service, amen? All of us, in whatever capacity we can, and whatever gifts or natural abilities we have, God's like, I can use anybody, I can use anybody, I can use anybody. As a youth director, when I would stand up and preach in front of the young people, I would often encourage them, and still do, I would encourage them to give their early years to God. There's some of you here in this audience or congregation today or some of you are watching and you could reflect back on your life and wish you had given your early years to God. Always encourage people, you're 15, you're 16, you're 17, give the next decade, give the next two decades of your life to God. Give your 20s to God. Those are the decades that the world, for want of a better term, wants. It was just yesterday, I think there was, right now there's NBA playoffs going on. I don't really follow the NBA playoffs, but it comes up on my Facebook timeline of people who do follow it, and I see. The playoffs going on. 
And people are watching these seven games, if, if you go to the last game, but you're watching a bunch of young men in their 20s. No one watches the NBA playoff over 50s. It's the 20s. Sportsmen are all in their 20s. The military. Who gets recruited for the military? Same decades. The world, in a sense, seeks to, seeks to capture young men and women in those decades, those formative years of life when we have the most energy and passion and mission to drive forward. And God, I believe, wants to do the same with his church as well. But it doesn't always work out like that, necessarily. In uh, Joshua chapter 14, you've got a story there in Joshua chapter 14, where you have an interaction that takes place between Joshua and Caleb. And as they, they interact with each other, it's a fascinating interaction. It's actually one of my favorite passages in the Bible, as these two men come together. And they're these two older men now. They're around the age of 85, 86, 87, somewhere around there. And they're at the twilight years of their life. Twilight years. And Joshua 14 happens now. The children of Israel got to the borders of the promised land, Kadesh Barnea. And then they decided, when the 12 spies came back, that they didn't want to go into the land. Two of them said, we can go. Ten of them said, we can't go. And the people believed the ones who were doubtful. Ellen White says in the book Patriarchs of Prophets that if the, the, um, if the ratio was flipped and there was ten positive and two negative, the people would have believed the two negative. It wasn't a numbers game. They believed the negative ones and they say, no, we can't go. And so the Lord says, okay, for every day that you wandered in the land, you will wander one year in the wilderness. It's one of the places where we get the day for the year principle from. Forty years wasn't random. One day, one year, off you go. Furthermore, he said, everyone over the age of 40 is not going to make it. Except who? Joshua and Caleb. And here's a kind of a fascinating aspect of that text who says that when when it when it's spoken who actually verbalizes that to the congregation moses was moses over the age of 40 yes or no was moses mentioned in the in the people that were making in the promised land yes or no either he knew it or he was so focused on the mission that he didn't even take time to reflect and realize that i did actually say my own name i don't know Moses dies, Aaron dies, all of those over the age of 40 died, and then they finally get to the promised land, they cross the river um, Jordan, Jericho falls, and as they get there into the modern day kind of country of Israel, and now it's like, okay, we've got to finish off conquering the land. And I love the interaction where Caleb comes to Joshua. Joshua has been appointed as the leader of Israel. Caleb is not, but he's okay. And he comes to see Joshua. He says there in verse, you really could start in verse 3. 
In verse 7, 40 years old as I, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy the land, and I brought word again, and it was in my heart. Nevertheless, verse 8, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I followed the Lord, and Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon your feet have trod shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, in the, as he said, these 40 and 5 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in this desert, and lo, on this day, I am fourscore, I'm 85 years old. He's in the twilight years of his life. He says, I'm 85 years old. And verse 11 and I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so is my strength now for war to go out and to come in. Are you sure? Like, are you really physically the same strength when you're... Maybe he was. But maybe as he's talking here, it's a statement of faith in the power that God will give him. Because I'm sure if he had a mirror to look in the mirror, he would have seen a few more wrinkles. I'm sure as he got up in the morning, it takes a little bit longer to get out of bed than it did 45 years previous. There's a few more aches and pains. It's just my, my hunch. But he's got faith in his creator and he's like, mm. verse 11, 12. Now, therefore, give me what? Give me the mountain. Whereof the Lord spake in that day, for you heard in that day saying, the Anakins were there and that the cities are great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I will drive them out. Now, I'm not exactly sure what it's like in American culture, but I've got a, little, a, a little, little, little bit of understanding. Every culture in the world is different. But generally speaking, across cultures around the world, the older you get, you get a few more privileges. Correct? People may give you their seat, if they see you're older, it doesn't happen as much as it used to. You may get a campsite closer to the main hall as you get older. Maybe. Amen. Maybe not. You may be able to ask your grandchildren to go and fetch something for you while you stay seated. And the church said... <laughs> You may be able to get a few people to do a few favors for you as you get older in years because you're just getting a bit older. There's some privileges that come. And Caleb is here standing before Joshua as the eldest man in Israel, 85 years old. And he could easily say, hey, Joshua, man, 40 years in that wilderness because of this people. Give me that part over there, that easiest plot of land, because I'm tired and I want to enjoy my retirement. Give me that easy part over there. But no, he looks at Joshua and he says, Joshua, 
Give me the hardest piece of land. Give me the land where the Anakins dwell. Give me the land where the giants are. Give me the land where the cities have the largest and the highest walls. Give me that land. Because I'm going to show that the same God who would have been with me when I was 40 will be with me when I'm 85. Not because I have the strength. But because the same God that would have been with me then is with me now as well. In his old age, he loses no fervency, no strength, no, no, in his trust in God. He delivers. God goes with him. and He clears the land of the Anakins. And he's a testimony to someone who, in their twilight years of life, they don't lose hold and they don't lose their fervency and they stay strong all the way till the end. I heard some very sad news yesterday at camp meeting that a well-respected minister in this conference sadly passed away. And when I first I was like, you mean, you mean the guy that I just met in the cafeteria yesterday? You mean the guy that was just walking around? You mean the guy that was doing a seminar at camp meeting when he was 93? You mean the guy that's still pastoring in the UP up until camp meeting? You mean that guy? And as Justin Ringstaff, Elder Justin Ringstaff, told me the news, he said, he said that Pastor Holmes always said that he wanted to die with his boots on. Like he wanted to stay faithful in the cause of God till the end. Serving pastor camp meeting seminar speaker doesn't in a sense get more faithful till the very end than that the same God that was with me in my 40s and my 50s and my 30s will be with me then still and I'll serve God all the way regardless of my faltering age This man on the screen here, I don't know if any of you recognize him, he's a fascinating character of Adventist history. He became an Adventist after a man who moved into his area passed out some literature. An Adventist by the name of Paul Sticky passed out some tracts, and he passed one of them to a man called Mr. Studebacker, Mr. Studebacker doesn't like the tracks, but his wife passes them on to this guy. She passes the track on to this guy. He converts to Adventism around the year 1873. He had a very varied life and all types. During the summer, three years later of 1876, he shares some tracks with some neighbors, and I'll come back to this, this part of the story later on. He shares some tracks with his neighbor, 
and his neighbor, whose name was William Granger, reads the tracts, they bring an evangelist in, they have a little uh, tent meeting, and he gets baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist. But put that in, in your mind, William Granger gets baptized by the ministry work of this man here, Abram LaRue. The Lord laid on this man, Abraham LaRue, a passion to go to China. I don't know why. Passion to go to China. So he writes to the general conference. And he says, the Lord's laid on me a passion and a burden to go to China. He's 65 years old at the time. 65 years old. That's retirement age. And at 65 years old, the general conference write a response back to him, and they say, no, you can't go. You're too old. You're too old. Can't learn a new language. Too old. The brethren don't always get it right, amen? He does some work on some ships, and he goes on ships to... Hawaii, and he's sharing Bible studies as he gets there in Hawaii, and he managed to share some tracts, he starts some Bible studies, and he pleads with the church to send a worker to Hawaii, and eventually the church sent William Healy, and he goes to Hawaii and starts the first Seventh-day Adventist church in Hawaii, so he's already done some pioneer mission work on the islands of Hawaii in Honolulu. He comes back to California, and he gets a letter from the General Conference asking him to go as a ship missionary to the islands of the Pacific. The islands of the Pacific as a ship missionary. Most of the people on ships would speak English in some form or fashion. It was a, a, a fairly common language. And so they ask him to go as a ship missionary to the islands of the Pacific. He makes his way to Hawaii, and when he's in Hawaii, he sees a captain of another ship that he recognized, and this captain said, I'm going to Hong Kong. Would you like to come with me? And he says, the general conference said, go to the islands of the Pacific. Technically, Hong Kong is an island in the Pacific. Correct? The whole Pacific. They probably were thinking the South Pacific, but he said it's still in the Pacific. I will go. And he goes to Hong Kong. He's not young. He can't speak Chinese, Mandarin, whatever. He can't speak the language. And on March the 22nd, 21st, 1888, he set sail for Hong Kong. And there on the way, he meets a crew member whose name was Mr. Olsen, who was Swedish, and he converts Mr. Olsen on the way to Hong Kong. When they get to Hong Kong, Mr. Olsen resigns from being a crew member, and together they go and rent a house, and they start missionary work, primarily in the shipyard. They meet the ships that come in. They go around, and they're doing missionary work there in Hong Kong. They weren't official missionaries. Well, I guess he was, because he was asked to go to the South Pacific, or the Pacific. He didn't quite go where the many thought he would have gone, but either way, he's not sponsored by the church. He just kind of goes with maybe a little blessing from the church, but he doesn't have any money or any funding or anything. He's just there as a real pioneer missionary. And there he is working, 
and he works for 13 years, and in those 13 years, he visits Japan, he visits Shanghai, he visits Singapore, he goes down to Indonesia, he goes to Borneo, he goes to all those places on ships, just sharing tracts and sharing, he, 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 he translated, I forget which one, it was one of the chapters of the book Steps of Christ into Chinese, and there was another, another tract he translated, and he primarily just shares these tracts as he goes around. He works for 13 years until finally the General Conference sent an official missionary to Hong Kong. And when the official missionaries get there, Jacob and Emma Anderson, miraculously they meet. It's kind of interesting story how they actually just find each other. And he's already prepared some people for baptism. He sees, after the official missionary gets there, the first seven people get baptized. Thirteen years of work, he doesn't see a visible baptism result from what he's done. And after thirteen years, an official missionary couple come over, sent by the General Conference, Jacob and Emma Anderson, and now they baptize the first seven. Six of them were British Navy sailors. I'd be fascinated to know where those British Navy sailors went. He gets baptized. And just six months or a year later, he dies. He starts his missionary life in his late 60s, spends his 70s, early 80s as a missionary in a foreign land where he doesn't speak the language, where the food's weird and, and he doesn't understand all the culture, but he has a passion because God has told him to go there as a missionary and so he goes. You know, he didn't choose the easy place. You know, sometimes when we do mission work today, we like to choose easy places. It's true. I work in England. It's not that easy. And let me say that what I say is politically correct and as evasive as I can. <laughs> We've applied for funding from higher bodies in the church. And the word we sometimes get back is no. We would prefer to send our money to places where we get more bang for our buck. If we send you $100,000, you might give us two baptisms. If we send $100,000, I won't name the places, there, we'll get $100,000. A thousand, five thousand. Therefore, we'll send the money there because we'll get. When the Apostle Paul went as a missionary, where did he go? Did he check his Instagram feed? Oh, what's the most picturesque place in the world? I will go there. No. I'll go to the center of philosophy, the center. Of reason without God. I'll go to Athens. Yeah, I'll go to Athens. I mean, Athens is a beautiful city today. And, but he didn't go there because it was beautiful. Because the Pantheon sits on the hill and you can get a nice shot over there. No, he went there because the Lord called him there, even though it was a terribly difficult place to go. 
He didn't go easy. He did not go easy. He went to Athens. Where else did he go? Corinth. Thessalonica. These were hard. He picked some of the hardest city in his day to go and evangelize. And the reality is, with little return in some of those cities for the work that he did. Like he's one of the best missionaries. If we sent him somewhere else, he'd give us thousands of baptisms. We send him to Athens and he doesn't do much. Why are you wasting your time, Paul? He went to Ephesus. Today in modern day Turkey. One of the largest cities in the Roman Empire of the time. Regional center. Paul's like, yeah, regional center of the Roman Empire, a center of pagan worship to the goddess Diana. Yeah. I think I'll go there. And so he goes there under the, you know, the, the guidance of the Lord, and he goes, Acts 19 records the account of when he goes to this heathen city, and you've got the goddess of Diana playing such a prominent and, and, and he converts many people. What does the, uh, the book of Acts say? They bring books that total 50,000 pieces of silver to burn them. There's a boom. He's fearless and he's brave there in Ephesus. Where else does he go? He goes to Philippi, where you've got a city with people possessed by demons, and Paul goes there to share. He doesn't pick the easy spots. Sometimes we do that as an academy or as a church. We're thinking, oh, let's go on a mission trip. Where should we go? We think of a place where we're guaranteed immediate results so we can give a good mission report when we get back. So the church can say amen. Nothing wrong with going to some of those places. I'm not trying to whatever, but my point is, if you... If we only are motivated to go to places where we're guaranteed what we think in human terms a result, and that's our, our, our driving motivation, there's something off. There are places around this world where God may be calling you, where you may work for 13 years with no baptisms, and that's okay. There may be towns in Michigan where you're living and you're, you're working and you're trying to do missionary work and it just doesn't seem to work. We passed out the tracks. We've done the meeting. And then we did the meeting again. And then we passed the tracks out again. And we did it again. And we passed out the tracks again. And it's just slow. Slower than it used to be, at least. We do evangelism not just also, not just always for the return, but we do evangelism for what it does to us as well. We do evangelism for what God is able to do on our characters while we are doing it as well. Well, you think you got it tough? I played with mankind for 4,000 years and then they killed me. It allows us in some way, whatever experience you go through, to enter into the experience of Jesus Christ in salvation for the world. To understand a little bit more what it feels like to be the God of the universe. Paul followed God with a passion. But he didn't go to the easy places. He did not go to the easy places. 
Where's God calling you today? Where's God calling you today? As I mentioned earlier, Abram the Rue, it's kind of one of the best pictures we have of him. He converts his neighbor, and his neighbor was called William Granger. His neighbor, who was William Granger, was a teacher, and after he gets converted by Abraham LaRue, he becomes a teacher at Healdsburg College, which is today called Pacific Union College. And I don't know how long he was a teacher, but soon he becomes, what do you call him here? Principal? President? The principal of Pacific Union College. He becomes the principal. Hillsborough College, Pacific Union College. He becomes the principal. And actually, it's interesting, while he's the principal, Abraham LaRue, who's in his 60s, comes to study there for a little bit. So he's here as the principal of Pacific Union College. He's in his 40s, late 40s. As a rich family in Japan, and they send one of their sons to the West Coast. They're a wealthy family. They send one of their, fa- their, their sons to the West Coast, and he's there working. And while he's working in a hotel on the West Coast in San Francisco, he gets hold of some Adventist literature, he meets an Adventist, and he gets converted to the Adventist faith. He's 27 years old at the time. His family in Japan are not happy with his conversion to Adventism, and they stop funding his American endeavors. So he then goes to study at Pacific Union College at the age of 27. He's already about almost 10 years older than all the other students. He kind of sticks out a little bit because he's 27, he's Japanese, doesn't speak the best English and so on, but he's there to study to be a worker for God. His family have rejected him, cut off the funding to him, and there he is studying to be a worker for God. He attends PUC and he does a Friday night Vespers. It's a fascinating story. He does a Friday night Vespers, and in his broken English, he makes an appeal. I want to go back to Japan. I want to preach the gospel in Japan. The Lord's calling me to go back to Japan. And he makes an appeal. Who will go with me to Japan? And no one gets up to move. No student gets out their seat. Who will come to Japan? No student moves. And then eventually, William Granger, the, pre- the principal of Pacific Union College, gets out of his seat and walks to the front and stands at the front with Okohira. He says, I will go as a missionary to Japan. Principal of the school. He could have easily said, oh, it's my job to facilitate. It's my job to provide the environment for the young people. No, no. He says, okay, I'll go. He resigns as principal of Pacific Union College, and together with his wife, Toruhiko Okohira, they go to Japan. He goes to Japan, and as he goes to Japan, he works there, not for long. He doesn't work there for long, actually. William Granger only worked there maybe six months, I think. May have only been six months. Oh, sorry, three years. He dies three years after arriving in Japan at just 55 years old. When you look at the early stories of our Adventist pioneer missionaries, there's so much death. 
55 he dies. Jay and Andrews yesterday died in his early 50s as well. It wasn't easy to be a missionary then. He goes to Japan, works for three years. He dies. He's buried today in Japan. Japan. But the work that he did started something, and while he's over there in Japan in the land of, they call it land of the rising sun, don't they, if I'm correct? The first person that they were able to baptize, one of the first people that they were able to baptize, is this man here. In 1896, his name is Hide Kunia. Hide Kunia would go on to be the first Adventist minister in Japan. And it's fascinating to see how the gospel just kind of has this really interesting journey. So it starts off with Abraham LaRue, who gets converted by a tract from a neighbor, who then converts his other neighbor, William Granger, who then goes to school and follows an appeal to go to the mission field and goes to the mission field. And while he's in the mission field, he meets this man, Hide Kunia. He's baptized at the age of 24. He's the first ordained minister there in Japan. And he's a pastor in the city of Kobe. But what happens is while he's there in Kobe, one of the, um, the port cities there in, in Japan, he meets two people in the port. One is called Mr. Lee, and one is called Mr. Sun. He converts both these men in the port, Mr. Lee and Mr. Sun. Mr. Lee and Mr. Sun get on a boat. And they sail to Korea. Well, Mr. Lee goes to America. Mr. Sun goes to Korea, converts Mr. Lim on the way, and they start to work in Korea. And a few years later, the Japanese minister comes and baptizes 71. starts with a tract in California that's passed from one neighbor to another. That neighbor converts his neighbor. The neighbor who's converted becomes the principal of Pacific Union College and then says, you know what? I'm going to Japan. He goes to Japan, converts Kunia. Kunia converts two men in the shipyard. One goes to Korea and the church booms over there in Korea. Little kids at camp meeting will sing a song, it only takes a... They'll sing that song. But how true it is that it only does take a, a spark to get a fire going. God's calling all of us to be missionaries for Him. Whether it's in your hometown, in Michigan, Indiana, Upper Peninsula... Illinois, wherever. He's calling us to be missionaries for him, but he may be calling some of you, even in your older years, to be Abraham LaRue and follow the calling of God and go somewhere out of your comfort zone and do something radical for God. The radical decades of life are not just your 20s and your 30s. The call of God is radical no matter what age that call comes to you. Yes, God may call some of you just to facilitate other people, but God may call some of you to just do something that seems crazy to other people and just go. And just go. 
in the calling and in the power of God. We have a commission to take this gospel to every nation that's in the world. We have a commission in Revelation 14 to preach the everlasting gospel to every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and every people. And the reason why you've heard this before, why Revelation outlines it, is because we can easily say as an Adventist church, we have entered 205 of the 220 or whatever it is, countries in the world, and pat ourselves on the back and feel very good. But in some of those countries, the representation that we have is, is very minimal or is token at best. That's why it says nation, kindred, because even within countries you have tribes that are not reached because the other tribe doesn't like that tribe. Then it says tongue, because there's languages that still don't even have a Bible let alone a Bible study guide and people. There's a great work to do. There is a great work to do around the world. As the song goes, who will go and work for me? Is God calling some of you today to do something different than what you're currently doing? I didn't say, is God calling some of you to work for him? No, that's just a given. God's calling all of us to work for him, amen? He's calling all of us. It's not like, who wants to work for God? No, no. No, no, no. We should all work for God, amen? And maybe you know you're at the place where God wants you right now, and you're, you're comfortable in a sense, not comfortable in the sense of comfort, but you're, you're assured in your calling where you are right now. And if that's the case, then praise God, because we should be where we know God wants us to be. But there may be some of you here where, as I'm sharing the message this morning, the Holy Spirit, through the divine ministry, is pricking your heart because you're not that comfortable where you are. You know you should be somewhere else. You know you should be doing something different. Or you know you should be doing more than what you're currently doing. And the Spirit is not letting you rest. He's not. You know you should do more, or something different, or something broader, or something that requires more sacrifice than it's currently requiring of you right now. Our early pioneers, when they went as missionaries, some of them never returned home. They never saw, saw the shores of the land of liberty again. They died in foreign lands without their family at their funeral. You could say it was sad, maybe. But I don't think they saw it that way. I don't think they did. For them, it was an honor to serve for the Lord wherever he called them to go. I was reading a book called The Insanity of God. It's a fascinating book. It tells the story of a missionary who went to Africa. The first half of the book is the story of his missionary journeys as a family in Africa and his reflections as to the challenges he encountered and the sacrifices it took, etc. The second half of the book is the accounts of a ministry, in a sense, he started where he started to travel the world and interview Christians in persecuted countries. 
And it's fascinating to hear their, their stories and how they reconciled their faith with their experiences and so on. It's a really fascinating book. And there's one story there where he tells a story of a deacon. It was a deacon, I believe it was in Russia, Siberia. And there's a mother with children whose husband has just been taken to prison because he was serving as a Christian, as a pastor, and he's been taken to prison. And it's wintertime. And he knows that there's a house there where there's a mother and children, they've got no food, they're struggling because there's no breadwinner in the home anymore. And the spirit comes and tells him, go take some food to their house. It's winter, it's cold, it's dark. He lives in the woods, and he knows there's wolves around. There's wolves. And he starts to argue with God, as we often do. God says, go. He says, no, God, if I go, I'll probably die, because there's packs of wolves in the woods, and they'll get me. God says, go, take the food to the mother whose husband's locked in prison. No, doesn't make sense, God. I'll die in the process of doing it. And then as he's recounting the story, he says he hears the Holy Spirit speak to him with these simple words that say, you don't have to come back. You just have to go. The calling is to go. That's it. God instructs the deacon, you just have to go. He goes. Praise God, he obviously comes back because we hear the story. But he goes after he reaches that point where I'm going to go and sacrifice everything for that one lady over there, I'll sacrifice all. Is God calling you today to sacrifice something in your life to go somewhere else in America, some of the town, some of the place, some of the workplace, some of the country, to work for Him? You may have your whole life ahead of you. And you're not sure what to do. You're not sure what to do with your life. You may be just retired. And as you just get retired, you're like, what am I going to do with myself? What am I going to do with all my time in my retirement? All those things you said you wished you could have done? Maybe that's now. Maybe God's calling for Abram LaRouge at the age of 65 who say to the church, send me somewhere. Give me some work to do. Maybe God's calling for people today, like Caleb, who say the same God who was with me, or who would have been with me back then, will be the same God who's with me today. How many of you want to have an attitude of surrender, an attitude of humility, that when God calls whom shall I send and who will go for me? You can raise your hand and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Is that your desire this morning?
Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Lord, impress upon each one of us where and who you would have us go and minister to. For some of us, it might be right where we are right now, and that's okay. Stay in your calling. For some of us, it might be something different. And if it is, Lord, and if it involves inconvenience to our lives as they look in the present time, give us a spirit of willingness to go wherever you call us. Our church was built on a heritage of sacrifice of men and women who traversed this globe and took the gospel, but there's still places for the gospel to go where it has not yet gone. And God, give us a spirit of surrender, a spirit of sacrifice, and a willingness to follow your calling in our lives wherever that may lead us. Lord, you see those who are gathered here in this hall, you know those who are listening online, and impress upon our hearts, Lord, your calling for us. Maybe you already have. Maybe you've been impressing upon us for weeks or months or years. Give us tender hearts, Lord, if we're stubborn. To just pause and listen. That all of us may be used as an instrument in your service. Bless us, Lord, to this end. And be with us throughout this preparation day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.